0: Welcome to Health Plus Tech, the podcast where we explore the law that applies at the intersection of healthcare and technology. Hosted by McGuire Woods, episodes feature healthcare innovators and updates on the laws that apply to digital health businesses. Welcome to the Health Plus Tech podcast. I'm Kristen McDermott-Woodrum, a healthcare partner in the Atlanta office of McGuire Woods. I'm joined by my partner, Holly Buckley, who's based in Chicago and chairs the McGuire Woods Healthcare Department. Holly and I lead the McGuire Woods Digital Health, Technology, and Innovation Practice and are hosts of this Health Plus Tech podcast. And we're excited to announce that we will be hosting a digital health dinner and keynote on Wednesday, September 27th in Charlotte. It'll be held the night before our annual Healthcare Financing Growth Conference. Our keynote speakers this year will be Dr. Yves Newerth, Chief Clinical Executive for Care Transformation at Atrium Health Advocate, and Todd Dunn, who's the Vice President of Enterprise Innovation at Advocate Health. We hope to see you there, save the date. More information to come, and please feel free to reach out if you'd like some details in advance. Today, we are excited to welcome to the podcast, Cyril Phillip. Cyril is the Vice President of Digital Ventures at Bon Secours Mercy Health. In his role, He looks to invest in innovative healthcare technology companies, which can add value to the broader Bon Secours Mercy Health vision. Prior to joining Bon Secours Mercy Health, Cyril spent seven years building the investment platform at Providence Ventures, the $300 million venture fund of Providence. During his tenure at Providence Ventures, Cyril completed over 30 financing transactions and three exits in the healthcare technology, tech-enabled services, and digital health sectors. Prior to Providence Venture, Cyril was a middle market private equity investor at Halyard Capital, and he started his career at UBS Investment Bank and their global healthcare group. Cyril graduated from Carnegie Mellon University's Tupper School of Business. He's currently based in Seattle and is from New York City. Welcome, Cyril. So tell us about yourself. You have an interesting career trajectory, having spent time as an investment banker, then middle market, PE, and now a nonprofit health system. Tell us about this evolution.
1: Yeah. So first off, Kristen and Holly, really appreciate the opportunity to be on the podcast and appreciate the kind words and introduction. Um, yeah, it, it's it's interesting because it's definitely been a journey over the last 14 years for me um, in my career. You know, I started out in making as you alluded to, and one of the first things that I did after I graduated was um, they gave us the opportunity to pick an industry group at, at UBS to, to join. And I joined the healthcare group because I felt you know, that was going to be an industry that's going to experience a lot of change. And uh, I wasn't wrong on that front. Um, You know, in banking, during my time there, it was kind of the period of time where there was a lot of the payer mergers happening. So Anthem's predecessor, WellPoint was acquiring companies, Cigna was acquiring smaller health plans. And, you know, I think that kind of alluded to just the beginning of a significant amount of shift in the healthcare industry overall. Um, and it was great to be a part of a lot of those transactions, albeit in a junior capacity. Um, when I made the move over to the investment side in private equity, um, I went to a fund that was actually a little bit outside of healthcare. They did um, investments in, in media and telecommunications type companies. And, and while that was interesting in of itself, I did miss the, the healthcare bug um, and the, the novel dynamics of the healthcare industry overall. Um, then about eight years ago, I had the chance to um, help stand up the Providence Ventures um, investment fund. So Providence Ventures is the venture fund for Providence, a large West Coast health system. I moved from New York, where I lived all my life, over to Seattle eight years ago and um, helped start up what was at the time one of the first true strategic hospital-focused venture funds, um, and it really was when I joined an, an idea of sorts. It was an announcement from our executive leadership at Providence that we were going to be investing in companies that were transformative in healthcare and partnering with our health system to, to drive change. Um, and a lot of the work that I did at Providence early on was essentially bringing that idea to life. Um, and and we did. We eventually had two funds totaling $300 million I invested in over thirty companies, um, and it really was also my first exposure to the non for profit healthcare and the healthcare system landscape. Um, and then about a year ago, I made the decision to to leave Providence and start the next chapter uh, of my career at Bon Secours Mercy Health, where the team was looking for somebody who had investment experience in the non for profit space um, and essentially could could replicate the success that. Um, we had a Providence at their system and bring some of the, the the learnings that they had. And that's a big part of my role is helping stand up an investment function here um, at Bon and, and leveraging a lot of the learnings that I've had from banking through the, the non-for-profit startup healthcare um, fund space at Providence to, to Bon Secours.
0: That's very fascinating. Um, Could you tell us a little more about your role at Bon Secours Mercy Health and the vision for Bon Secours Mercy Health Digital Ventures?
1: Yeah. um, So my main role at at Bon Secours is to source diligence and complete direct equity investments in innovative companies that um, make both financial and strategic sense for the health system. Um, my, My role is a little bit beyond that. So beyond just the direct investments, I also help um, with some larger acquisition opportunities in the digital health space, um, help with managing some of the joint ventures that we have in the system, um, as well as helping with what we're calling at Bon Secours Mercy Health, Accrete Health Partners. Accrete Health Partners is essentially our digital health subsidiary entity at Bon Secours Mercy Health. Um, it's a strategic holding company that holds and houses several assets, both wholly owned and investments and joint ventures that, that are really leading digital health products and services. Um, and so the the point of what we're doing with Accrete is that it goes beyond just direct investment. So at Providence, a lot of what I did was direct investing and, and investing in companies that you know, were helping the system. What we're doing at Bond Scores is we're doing that, that investment, but also building a portfolio of, of best of breed companies that work better together um, and one of the key aspects of our vision is that all of our portfolio companies can cross sell with each other. Um, they are aligned. There's no sort of competitive edge between them. And we as a as a health system can go out to partner health systems to other organizations and say, hey, we have a suite of products that we've invested in and we've partnered in deeply that have shown strong results in our health system and, you know, we're, we're willing to kind of bring those to you as kind of a suite of options and you can pick and choose which ones you'd want to adopt. But, you know, these have worked well together for us and they can work well together for, for, for you as well. Um, so, so that's the broader vision. I will say we're, we're only about a, a year or so into that strategy. Um, and so a lot of things are um, in flux, but um, that, that's kind of the broader vision that, that we're shooting towards.
2: Cheryl, sure, I have a follow-up question. You mentioned um, the desire to source um, companies that are, for the benefit of Bon Secure's health system. But then you also mentioned the idea of taking these products to partner health systems, um, obviously to kind of sell them the solutions as well. How much of the vision is focused on serving your own system versus the commercialization of these products to other systems?
1: That's a great question, Holly. I think w- w- when we look at it, we want to have um, investments in companies that first serve our system and prove out the value in our system and then bring those proven values out to other health systems. Um, and then I think if you look at it though a little bit more deeply, if a company is able to provide that value to bond secours, they probably have added value to other health systems as well. So we're not Always looking for companies that have not done anything before. We're looking for proven technologies, um, but you know, ultimately, our goal is that we want these investments to prove value to us, and then we can sell that proven value to other health systems.
0: That makes sense. Do you want to highlight any successes or any solutions you see promising?
1: Yeah. So I, I would say, from from the Bonsecours side, it's pretty early on in in my tenure here. Um, but one of the things that I'm proud of that that we've accomplished here at Vonskers in the kind of year and a half that that I've been here is we've, we've created a much stronger investment review process. Um, one of the pitfalls that a lot of health system strategic funds have is that sometimes they can be a little too eager to invest and move forward in investments without really taking um, a deeper look from a strategic and financial perspective. Um, if you look out in the landscape, there are a lot of investments that make strategic sense, but don't really make financial sense and and vice versa. So what we've done at Vansecors bon and partner with leadership along the digital side as well as broadly at Vansecors bon is to develop a clear set of investment criteria, which really ensures a couple of things. One thing is we look at every investment we make from a financial perspective to ensure that there's a strong, a sound financial basis to these companies. And I partner with our internal finance team at Bon as well as with external consultants um, to to really do that diligence and and ensure that the companies we're investing in uh, can generate return down down the line. Um, Second is we try to invest in companies where there's a, I'd like to say an equivalent level of investment to strategic value. Um, so, for example, if we make a five million dollar investment in a company, we'd like to see an equivalent path to a five million dollar strategic partnership or potential revenue generation um, with said company. And then lastly, you know, just hitting back on my earlier point, every investment we, we do, we need to make sure that they kind of can work together um, and that they're not competitive and they're not going to be competitive in the, at least in the short term. Um, and that you know again goes back to the broader vision that we can cross sell all these solutions together and build in an, a creative portfolio of sorts. Um, so so that's kind of the early success I would say. It's being proven out with some of the investment opportunities we're looking at right now. That um, at some point in maybe a future podcast I could talk about these when they're public. But um, it's something that I'm starting to see bear fruit early on. Um, In some of the the work that we're doing in the early investments that we're making and we hope that kind of in the next year or so we'll have some some case studies that will show that value.
2: That's excellent. Thank you. Um, So I'm kind of fascinated by this, your personal career trajectory and your move from the for profit sector to the nonprofit sector and I'm just curious. what have you enjoyed the most about the transition, and what are maybe some areas that you've uh, had to adapt?
1: Yeah, um, so maybe I'll, I'll start with kind of the areas I'd have to adapt in, and I want to preface it that there are a lot of challenges with investing within non-for-profit health systems. Um, I think foremost is it's a much more limited scope of investment opportunities. You know, as I said before we're we're limiting our investment scope to companies that we're really see a, a strong opportunity to expand the commercial relationship, but that has that strong financial base and then has kind of that um, alignment with the other portfolio companies. But if you look at other health system venture funds like Providence, like the others that are out there, they have a similar type of criteria that somewhat limits opportunities, especially with companies that are seed or early stage. Um, because, again, we want to work with companies that have the ability to service a health system as large as bond scores or large as these other health systems. And most of the time, seed and early stage companies don't really meet that criteria. And so we end up missing out on a lot of the very front end of the innovation spectrum as a, as a result of that. Um, that being said, I think one of the the key benefits of working with a health system venture fund is that... We really could move the needle when it comes to commercial and business development um, growth for our portfolio companies in a way that, uh, frankly, traditional investors aren't able to do. And this goes to kind of the broader strategy that we have at Vance Scores, which is building kind of that unified portfolio. Um, it goes to some of the work that we're doing within or some of the work that I did at Providence, which was working with companies that can really are helping to spread the word around companies that are are really adding value to our system and being kind of that cheerleader of sorts with respect to these companies. And it goes a long way when a customer is shouting from the rooftops versus kind of an investor going out there and shouting from the rooftops. And, you know, I've seen that impact that that can have on on young companies and earlier stage or mid-stage companies in that having kind of that anchor investor slash um, strategic partner can really make or break these companies in a way that you know can't really be done if you're a traditional investor or if you're kind of a, a smaller seed investor
2: yeah just fascinating thank you for sharing that and are you seeing an increase or a decrease in interest from health systems in both investments in innovation in forming innovation funds in participating in um, you know some of the more established um funds where hospitals and health systems can be lps- w- what are you attributing the trend to
1: yeah thats that's a great question Holly you know one of the things that's a little bit i'd say disappointing for for me personally, just having been in nonprofit profit health systems for for eight years is that I've been seeing a little bit of a pullback from the interest from health systems when it comes to innovation and investments and a lot of that has been driven by financial challenges. Um, health systems over the last three or so years have had kind of the dual impact of um, of COVID shutdowns and uh, COVID care requirements, as well as rising labor costs. and And what that ends up resulting in is a significant, um, I'd say, short-sighted view for a lot of health systems, where um, you know they've just been struggling to stay afloat. Um, and when capital dollars are scarce, investing and, and putting capital into companies that may not necessarily generate a return in three four years that that's a tough uh, that's a tough pill to swallow for for a lot of health systems. And what that's resulted in is health systems paring back um, that innovation and investment spend, um, and rightfully so. I mean, the number one role for health systems is to provide care for. For, for their patients. And in order to probably care if they have to pull back on some of this um, this innovation spend, I completely understand. But but I do believe there needs to be some level of investment, maybe it's not necessarily dollars, but maybe it's time, maybe it's um, partnership, thought thought leadership with health systems into new technologies. Um, and so even though from a bottom line perspective, it may hurt to put in money into into innovative companies, I think there are many opportunities for health systems to continue to be part of that ecosystem, whether it is through partnering with other health systems who are doing investments, or through partnering with industry organizations, or just kind of getting the word out around what are their key needs um, that, that these health systems are facing. And so, you know, like although I am seeing a little bit of a decrease in it, I, I, like I'm hoping that you know over the next few years that kind of goes away and we go back to how things were back in 2018, 2017, where health systems are out and in the market and 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 making their voices heard um, in the innovation ecosystem. So
2: if there was a uh, someone listening from a hospital health system who is currently not doing any innovation type investing, what would you recommend as kind of initial first steps towards moving in that direction in terms of either communities or um, contacts that may be helpful?
1: Yeah, so that's a great question, Holly. I think in my view, one of the first things that those health system leaders can do is really be out there at um, innovative conferences. And I know your team hosts a conference, and there's several other large healthcare um, innovation conferences that are out there. I think it's important to be there. You know, I've been to a couple of these out um, over the last several years or probably more than a couple uh, that I think about it. Um, but a lot of times I don't really see that many health system execs there um, at, at these conferences. They tend to be more payers. Like I've seen a lot of payers. I've seen a lot of retail folks and tech folks and a lot of startups, but from from the health system side, whenever I kind of go to these conferences, they're like, Oh, wow, you're from a health system. Like, wh- wh- how, how can we sell into you guys? Like how can we create a product that, that's valuable and, I think just being out there in the market, being exposed to these type of companies and the, the innovations that are out there in and of itself is a really valuable tool for health systems, and it's an, it's an inexpensive way to, to, to go about that.
0: That's great advice and great point, Sarah. Um, are there areas where you see health system investments growing, and are there areas where health systems need to invest? to survive
1: and thrive in today's market. Thanks, Kristen. So in terms of areas where I see a lot of growth, there there are two that really come to mind. One is robotic process automation or or RPA. Um, You know, if you think about just the workflows that happen in health systems, both on the clinical side and then the operational side in areas such as billing, clinical documentation, supply chain, Um, and others, there's a lot of, um, I like to say like busy work of sorts that clinicians and operators have to do that aren't really very complex type processes, but just are things that have to be done specifically on the billing side, um, where it's kind of reviewing a claim, like adding some notes to said claim, and then cleaning it up and then kind of sending it out to the next person. And RPA represents an opportunity for Um, health systems to leverage uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence to really improve that workflow and improve efficiency, which in the days of rising labor costs, as I alluded to earlier, um, is critical to kind of the success of health systems. And we're seeing a lot of interest of that within Bon Secours itself, Um, seeing about a lot of other health systems looking for solutions that are out there. I think the technology is still a few years out to, to getting to a point where it can really make a difference, but it's worth exploring. And then the second area is one that I think you'll hear from a lot of other traditional investors, which is generative AI. Um, so leveraging large language models to, to really help improve process flow and improve kind of the, the day-to-day lives of patients and providers. Um, I look at that as kind of a, a key change agent um, because there are things from the RPA perspective, which are very, like our RPA, I like to think about as very much like A plus B equals C, um, less so about kind of thinking about things or, or responding to things versus generative AI is one step above that of, hey, like the clinician, the average clinician these days has to spend at least one hour per day answering um, Epic my chart messages. If there's a way for them to to leverage generative AI or large language model solutions to kind of fill in a lot of the blanks and and help them reach out to patients more efficiently, that's a win-win for patients and a win-win for providers. And I think that's a space that I look at more in kind of the three to five year timeframe versus kind of the next one to two years. But like I also look at a place where health systems should be paying attention in order to to really grow into the next uh, the next stage.
0: Yeah, thank you. Those are exciting potential solutions for really um, real pain points for health systems. Um, switching gears a little, how do you think health systems should use investments to compete against rising competitive threats, such as the retail tech players? Amazon, payers, and just other disruptors changing the way really healthcare is delivered and paid
1: for. Yeah, that, that's that's a good question. Um, but when I think about it, um, health systems, you know, as I mentioned earlier, they're struggling from cash scarce environment um, where you know there's been cuts in innovation work, cuts in investment, and unfortunately, retail and technology players as well as uh, the payers out in the market. Um, are somewhat immune to that Um, tech has suffered a a little bit lately with kind of some stock market declines but they continue to invest in healthcare as you're seeing amazon and other players um, continuing to launch new technologies in that realm from the retail side how health systems could compete is you know from the, the retail side, they're focusing on providing care that's easier and faster than traditional legacy systems. If you look at um, Amazon's acquisition of One Medical, One Medical has been as popular as it has been because it provides access to care in a way that is consumer centric. Meaning if you sign up for One Medical today, you can see a provider today um, versus with a lot of health systems, you know, if you want to see a provider, sometimes it's a week or, or a couple of weeks just to get an appointment. Um, so what health systems can do is they can invest in access solutions um, to provide that access to their patients. And I think one area in particular that retail and tech have fell behind in is where health systems are strong, which is specialty care. So health systems have the specialists either employed or affiliated And they have kind of that critical resource out in the marketplace. But for for many folks and many health systems, including Bon Secours, including Providence, it's very hard to get access to a specialist. Like, you can't just schedule it online. You have to go through um, decision trees. You have to go through several phone calls just to get an appointment with a specialist. And I think one thing that health systems can do is invest in access solutions geared towards the specialist provider, uh, so that they can provide patients with said access, what and essentially that could enable them to subvert the retail players, which are they they understand that that's where the money is as well, and they're going to be moving into that. And so the faster the health systems can move on that and kind of solidify that supply, the the, the better. Um, and then the the last thing, just on the payer side, payers, you know, they they've had kind of the opposite in COVID, where they've grown their cash reserve, um, they've kind of increased their ability to acquire other providers and expand their influence. And for health systems, the main solution there is we have to continue to embrace value-based care arrangements that provide some revenue split for health systems on the delivery of care and, and on the incentives as a result of that. And I think that's something that's been trumpeted for as long as I've been in healthcare, almost. And so, you know, I think that's definitely something that needs to continue to grow and expand over the next decade or health systems will continue to f- fall behind uh, their competitors.
2: That, that's fantastic. Um, final question, Cyril, what, what are you most excited about in the next five years and where are you going to be focusing?
1: Um, you know, one of the things that I'm most excited about in five years is honestly just seeing how the market evolves. Um, A lot of health systems, as I mentioned throughout this conversation, are are struggling and they're going to need to, there may be a breaking point where a lot of them end up being acquired or consolidated and um, being, or even being acquired by other, or by by payers. And so for for me, what, what I'm most excited about for the next five years is really what the world is going to look like for for healthcare because you know I, i'm an investor I, I like to invest in the future but for me today if i look out there i'm really wondering how like how will payers and providers interact in the future how will these retail players really move into healthcare will they abandon healthcare like a couple of them have had done in kind of the in the last several years or will they double down and move forward. And so for me, what's I'm most excited is just seeing how the healthcare landscape will change because I know it's going to change because there are levers out there from the cash standpoint, from the broader economy standpoint that are forcing change. And for, for me having been in the healthcare industry for um, about 15 years now, like I've seen a lot of change and I'm excited to see more change in the future here. And, uh, I think that's the the most exciting thing for me.
2: Thanks, Cyril. I mean, I think you work at just such a fascinating intersection, and it's really uh, been great to hear about both what you've been focusing on and your thoughts on the market. We really appreciate you joining us. Do you want to let our listeners know where they can reach you if they want?
1: You could feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. I don't have my exact address out there, but I'm sure it can be provided in the description um, of the podcast. LinkedIn is the best way to reach out to me. Um, you can find me quickly on there. I'm um, looking forward to learning more about any sort of innovative solutions that you have. If you're a healthcare provider and you're looking for advice around kind of the investment space and innovation space, always happy to connect. Um, and same goes for any sort of investors out there, always happy to connect and trade ideas on what I'm seeing out in the market.
2: Great. Uh, Cyril, thank you so much. Again, this is Cyril Phillip, who's the Vice President of Digital Ventures at Bon Secures Mercy Health. Um, and thank you to my co-host, Kristen McDermott Woodrum. Uh, this is the McGuire Woods Health and Tech Podcast. Um, I hope you all have a great day. Thank you.